This is The Mudroom, uncommon sense parenting classes with your parenting coach, Alana Robinson. Weekly nuggets of developmentally appropriate parenting wisdom to help you parent your toddlers, preschoolers, and kindergartners more effectively with less effort. The Mudroom is recorded live on Facebook every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific. Now, here's Alana. Hello, everyone. Welcome to The Mudroom, our weekly uncommon sense parenting class. How is everyone doing today? I hope all of you got to celebrate Valentine's Day this weekend, at least as much as parents can in the middle of a pandemic. Restaurants closed, babysitters hard to come by. It's not exactly simple, is it? We had a nice night in. I made a meal box meal. That was a little bit snazzier than we usually order, but nothing crazy, and we watched a movie with the kids. Really, it was the same as every other night other than we exchanged some chocolates and I polished off a bottle of bubbly. <laughs> so just the life of a parent, right? All right, today I wanted to talk about breaks and in particular movement breaks, sensory breaks, breaks from a task. At home, these often look like hitting the pause button on cleaning or getting dressed or, you know, all of the like administrative tasks of our day and engaging in some targeted play. In daycare or school, these are generally understood to be like recess. But recess has been so cut down in the last 20 years that they can also be those play breaks. Before we get into it, however, allow me to introduce myself. For those of you who are tuning in for the first time, my name is Alana Robinson and I'm a parenting coach for parents of toddlers, preschoolers, and kindergartners. I help you understand why your kids are misbehaving and how to fix it without yelling, shaming, or timeouts. I'm your host here on The Mudroom. I'm also the host of the Parenting Posse Facebook group and the creator of the Parentability Program, where I help you raise well-behaved kids of your own. So I'm glad that you're here. If you're watching, I'd love to know where you're joining us from in the comments. Say hi, I love chatting with y'all. And don't forget to like and subscribe while you're here so that you never miss another class. Those of y'all listening to the podcast, I'd love it if you could do me a favor and rate the podcast, especially if you're listening on Spotify, since apparently we need to build a rep on there now. All right, so I'm sure every parent is familiar with bribing children using contingent instructions. If you can do X, you can do Y. If you clean up your room, you can play video games afterwards. If you sit and listen to the teacher, you can go outside and play after. Contingent instructions are a little bit different from bribes. They sound very similar because we're using that if-then language. Contingent instructions, though, are more about holding activities and schedules hostage than stuff. Bribes tend to be more like, if you can get in the car, we can stop and get Timbits on the way home they're getting something tangible out of a bribe. And that's a whole other topic. Both are manipulations though. We're trying to manipulate kids into placing enough importance on a demand that they follow through with it. We're trying to motivate them. I really, really hate that word (laughs) because motivation is a construct. It doesn't exist. I'll explain a little bit more in a minute. But we're trying to tell them that if they just put out the energy and effort on our thing first, then they can do what they want to do. We're basically telling our kids that they have to earn the ability to be autonomous. 
I see adults trying to manipulate children into action with contingent instruction all of the time. It's probably one of the most common behavior management quote-unquote strategies across all different forms of parenting, which is odd because <laughs> it works sporadically at best. Contingent instructions only work for children who already had the skills and the energy to do the thing. If your child does not have the skills and or energy to do what you're asking them to do, no amount of motivation on God's green earth is going to make them comply. And this is probably one of the biggest complaints I hear from parents, that there's nothing they can give their child to make them want to follow directions. However, I know that that is universally untrue. It's total fake news because there is one thing that you can give every child that will support them in following through on the demands you've placed on them, and that's a break. We've talked about stress lots of times before, so I'm not going to go and rehash that. The episode is up on the blog, podcast, Facebook, and YouTube, so if stress is something that you're interested in, you can go back and brush up on those. But small recap, if stress is energy expenditure, and kids do well if they can, which I hope we've established by now, and you are asking your child to do something within their abilities, they've done it before, you have supports in place to compensate for weaker skills, etc., then it's fair to assume that the reason your child isn't following your directions is because they don't have the energy available to do so. And we can get them the energy they need to comply by giving them a break. A break is 10 to 20 minutes maximum of doing something regulating. So what each child's break looks like is going to be extremely unique to them and extremely different one kid to the other. And it's a process figuring out regulating activities, which is why we spend most of your first couple of months in parentability figuring it out. Because what one child will find regulating another won't. The easiest example I have of this is introverts versus extroverts. Introverts find solitude regulating, whereas extroverts find interaction with other people regulating. And then you have those ambiverts like me who need a very finely tuned balance of both to feel regulated. And that's just like one thing <laughs> that can be regulating or dysregulating. So there's lots of trial and error and observation involved in this process. That said, you can almost bet that that thing that you're withholding in an attempt to motivate your child to do your thing first, that's probably regulating for them to some degree. Now, I know why parents and teachers and daycare providers scoff giving children breaks when they need them, because they view children as trying to get out of doing things they view children as manipulative. They do not believe that children do well if they can. So if you believe that children only do well if they want to, then you're going to see the need for a break as a manipulation rather than what it is, a genuine communication of needs. <laughs> Which is why we dig in and go back to that contingent instruction because we're like, oh no, mm -mm. 
you think you're going to manipulate me, then I'm going to manipulate you. And it becomes this power struggle and nothing ever gets done. <laughs> and generally, it ends with the parent or teacher losing their mind and the child using cortisol to do the task, which the parent sees as proof that the child was being manipulative. If you want more information on that, go watch the episode on yelling. <laughs> but if we believe that children do well if they can, and they aren't doing something we know is within their wheelhouse, then it becomes clear that we need to hit that pause button on our thing and give them just 10 to 20 minutes of their thing first so that they can refill their tank and have the energy available to do ours. So my favorite example of this is my son, Logan. He's eight now, but when he was five, he started junior kindergarten. Something to know about Logan is that he finds running extremely regulating. He loves to run and swim. Now, unfortunately, swimming isn't something constantly available to him, especially where we live in the winter. <laughs> I have three feet of snow in my backyard right now. So he uses running more often than not. There's a few other activities that regulate him pretty well too, but running is his favorite and his most available. So Logan started kindergarten and he was having a bit of a rough go of it because there was a lot more sitting and listening than he was used to. He was learning a lot of new things, navigating social situations by himself for the first time. You know, all of those stressors that come with being in a new structured school environment. So fair to say he had a lot of things draining his tank and he didn't have me there to help him refill it anymore. So one day I get a text from his teacher and she tells me that she's struggling with him and getting him to engage in something called a math box, which took me a while to figure out, but as I understood it, it was like a box of math activities that they were expected to do every day. And I found that kind of weird <laughs> because unlike me, my son is actually very good at math. He's a very mathematical thinker. So I asked some questions and she told me that when he refuses to do his math box, he's asking to go for a run. And when she denied him, he was getting extremely upset. He was crying, screaming into pillows, isolating himself, basically having a meltdown. Sound familiar? Right? I know a lot of our kids, this is how they react when we ask them to do something and they say, well, no, I need to do this first and then we deny it. And, you know, she said she tried telling him if he did his math, then he could go for a run at recess. But he just kept crying, I can't, I can't. And she had no idea what to do because at any other time of the day, this was really out of character for him. And if she put the math box away and let him go play, he was generally able to calm down and he was pretty much fine for the rest of the day. That sounds like a kid trying to avoid a task they don't like, doesn't it? <laughs> but I knew something was up because one, he's good at math. And because he was specifically telling her he needed an activity that I know is extremely regulating for him. 
I'd worked his entire life to figure out what activities are regulating for him and that he knew how to ask for them. So it wasn't surprising to me at all that he was melting down when it was denied to him. So the teacher and I went back and forth and she finally agreed that if I signed a release form that she'd send him, you know, home in his bag and that evening she would let him go for a run around the yard for 10 minutes when this happened. So that's what I did. Form came home, signed it, he took it back, he goes to school the next day, and I didn't hear anything from her until after he was on the bus coming home. And she called me up, not a text this time, and she was floored because she did what I'd asked and she was like, okay, fine. You can go for 10 minutes to run around and then you can come back inside. And he did that. He went for his 10 minutes. He ran around the school a couple times. He came back inside. He did his entire math box without a single error. And then he cleaned it up, helped appear with theirs, and then went about his day. No refusal, no meltdown. By giving him a break and allowing him to do something he finds very regulating, which put gas back in his tank, he was then able to use that energy to do what he was asked to do, and he had more left over to carry on without any issues. Now, I know that all sounds extremely simplified. And I'll be honest, it was an easy problem for me to solve, but only because of the foundation that we had in place prior to that. I knew what Logan found regulating, We'd practiced taking breaks at home and he was familiar with the boundaries around breaks. He was adept at asking for breaks and I knew the signs to look for to determine that he was dysregulated. I knew the questions to ask to verify my initial impression and how to communicate that with his teacher. It would not have been a quick and simple problem to solve if none of those things had been in place and we had to figure out if it was a regulation problem or a skills problem, what regulated him, what the signs of dysregulation were for him, and teach him to self-identify when he needed breaks. All <laughs> while he was also in school. Not impossible, mind you, just a lot more work. It's totally possible. I do this with my clients all the time. It's just a much more involved process if that foundation isn't there than if it was there to be built upon. But you can see how when we prioritize regulation, everyone wins. In that situation, Logan won. He got his needs met and he worked on his math. The teacher won. She didn't have to deal with a melting down child disrupting the class and he did the work assigned to him. And all it took was prioritizing his regulation. And yet we do this to kids over and over and over and over throughout the day. And then we complain that their behavior is poor. I have a client who has been working with her school for two years now to get this mindset shift in place because they continuously use removing recess as a consequence for his dysregulation. And she's frustrated, rightly so, because every year she has to reteach them that you can't hold a child's regulation opportunities hostage and then complain that they're dysregulated. <laughs> you can't punish a child into regulating. You can't dangle an opportunity to regulate sometime in the future as motivation to do a task a child isn't regulated enough to complete. 
This is why the concept of motivation is a construct. If you're out of energy, if you're stressed, if you don't have the skills to do something, no amount of shiny objects or opportunities are going to resolve those barriers. Think of it like if you're sick, which is, you know, generally an extreme state of dysregulation. So you're sick, you're in bed feeling like death warmed over, and then someone pops in in front of you and says, hey, I'll give you a million dollars. And all you have to do is get up, get dressed, put on some makeup and go stand in a room full of strangers for the day and act like you're not sick. If anyone suspects that you're sick, you lose the prize. A cool mill is a lot of very tangible motivation. <laughs> but it doesn't matter how motivated you are or how simple the task is, you're really sick and there's no hiding that. So you know you're going to lose. And therefore, why put in the effort? Why even try? In fact, this whole stunt is probably just going to make you feel sicker because now you're also upset that you're missing out on this once in a lifetime opportunity. It's the same with anything we try to motivate our children with. It doesn't matter how badly they want to do what we're asking them to do, they're dysregulated and they don't have the ability to resolve that on their own with just their willpower. There's no way around that. There's no hiding it. They're going to fail and they know it. So why put in the effort and drain themselves further? Only now they're also upset because they know that they won't meet your expectations and they aren't going to get the thing that they want. <laughs> the thing that they find regulating. So we've just made it worse. Motivation doesn't exist. All right, this is getting kind of long, but I hope that that gave you something to think about in terms of why holding breaks hostage is not gonna work. <laughs> and why trying to use contingent instructions on our children just results in more meltdowns and less compliance. If this is you, if this is something you've done, it's not working, you're frustrated as hell, your child is frustrated as heck, and you're stuck on how to get out of it, chances are you would both greatly benefit from participating in Parentability. The first step to joining Parentability is to take my free class. It's an hour long, it's available at a bunch of different times every day, and in it I explain the framework that I use to help my clients figure this stuff out how we figure out what your child's regulation is, how we build skills. And then if at the end of the class, you're ready to get to work, you can hop on in. If the class is enough to get you started on your own, fan freaking tastic And the link for that is in the description. Okay, go process that all because I know it's a bit of a mind bend. <laughs> this is not how most people see children and behavior. And it's something that I come up again and again against when I'm working with professionals, with teachers, with daycare providers, with preschool teachers. It is a complete 180 to how we typically approach behavior management. So you might have to explore it a little bit, right? <laughs> you might have to give yourself some time to process that because it's easy for me to say it because this is how I do it and I've been doing it this way for 20 years, 
but you're new to it. So it's going to take a little bit of time to get the implementation in place. Implementation in place. All right, I'm not gonna take up any more of your day. Have a wonderful rest of it, and I'll see you next time for another Uncommon Sense Parenting class. Bye. You've been listening to The Mudroom on Common Sense Parenting Classes with Alana Robinson. If you like what you just heard, remember to join us live every Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Facebook. And don't forget to rate, subscribe, share, and connect with us in the Parenting Posse Facebook group. This has been an Alana Robinson Family Services production.